What's going on, everybody? This is James Grandmaster Facts Voice, and you're here for another episode of the Facts Project. Today, we have two very special guests, Kelly DeCroix, uh, DeCroix? LaCroix. LaCroix and Sean Murphy from Ominous Powers and Comics. We are here to talk about Everyday Magus. Thank you for being here, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much, James. Absolutely. So um, it, it, briefly, now I got a chance to, of course, read the summary for this um, for the <clears throat> Kickstarter. And I got to say, the intricacy and all of the mystical beings and the character development in which you chose and how you put this story together just made it seem like it was very worthwhile for me to watch and 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 definitely one wanted to read. So how did this come about, this storyline? Because it seems like it was something because of how everything is so encompassed in intricacy and detail, it seemed like it take it took a long time to happen. Yeah, yeah. So um originally um what we were doing when we first decided that we wanted to write comics. Um, we wrote a 12-issue series um, that we, um, we, I started getting nervous, basically, thinking like, you know, we're complete unknowns. We don't want to be sending this out as a pitch. Like, it, it just seemed better to me to get a single issue out and maybe do a couple small things first and give people a feel, like a baseline of what we're what we're about and what we're shooting for. Um, so once we decided to do that, that's where this story came in. Um, you're talking about how it seems like there's like kind of a lot going on and it, there's there's a lot of layers. There was a ton of world building. Um, that is because those original 12 issues of our other series, um, this character is a minor character in the larger series. So we had already worked out the mechanics of this larger universe um, determine like characters, um, what, what sort of rules there were, um, and then, um, kind of spun that off and tried to apply some new rules, um, to this one shot here. Um, anything I'm missing there, Sean? Well, I mean, it just, it exploded the universe, right? The universe was already pretty big, uh, at the end of that 12 issue run, which at the time, uh, we named Bitterroot. And then uh, I remember being in uh, when we were working on that final issue. And that's when they announced uh, that they were greenlighting Bitterroot by David F. Walker and Chuck Brown. Oh. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> just missed it, you know. But, uh, uh, you know, then then that that spurred on the conversation of like, well, you know, we're, we're not known names. Nobody knows us. We can't just throw pitches out. It'll just go right into the fire um you know let's let's build a body of work and then yeah like kelly said we just chose a character and built a, a sort of a, a biography around them that expanded from what the biography we'd originally written and that just it exploded the universe it's so much bigger it's so much multi much more multifaceted it's so much more diverse um we can you know accommodate any genre with that the media can handle now because you know if you look at everyday magus it's it's got it all i mean you know gods monsters aliens demons doesn't matter um mm -hmm. you know you're crossing that cosmic threshold and now everything that you expected is much weirder because it's much more familiar and much more mundane very true now uh as far as like the first bit of connectivity you talk about in the summary about a connection to a previous project that you had called the wolfminder yeah yeah the wolfminder 
we 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 got a notice from Negative Space Comics, um, who we had uh, um, originally sent our script for Everyday Magus to for their contest. We ended up making it to the finals. We feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, they they do writing contests. Yeah, they by do the writing way. contests. Um, so for any aspiring writers out there, um, it's it's a good way to get your foot in the door, start yeah, meeting new people. Space. And uh, negative space has been a huge, huge help to us in in more ways than I could probably oh, yeah. count for right now. Yeah, tons, tons of mentorship and community. Like the people yeah. we met through it are just incredible. But mm. but please go on. Uh, well, they had they had put out uh, a request for um, submissions because they had said we're going to do a, a short story anthology. So we sat down and decided, well, you know, do we want to write something completely? excuse me, original, or are we going to do like something from our story universe? We decided to do that. And then we took uh, elements from Everyday Magus and we said, well, you know, let's apply it. Kelly was thinking, I kind of want to do a story about someone who's sort of like in this weird, tucked away liminal space and they're really kind of lonely. And then, uh, and then it just went from there. Um, We started drawing on like old movies that we had watched. We, 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 we uh, took some inspiration from a book called The Day Johnny Got His Gun, um, which is an anti-war film. Or it's an anti-war novel turned film, and most people know it from the Metallica music video. Uh, yeah, Metallica's one for any folks who have uh, used to watch music videos back in the, the actual music. Yeah, yeah, the actual music video for one was like... It's pretty intense. Right? Yeah, it's pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because so, I, I I noticed some of your inspirations, of course, uh, Hunter S. Thompson's Brazil, Videodrome, nineteen eighty three Videodrome. Now that now I gotta ask you, because like as far as like a, a movie like that, James Woods, uh, of course, uh, what the nice funny guy. thing is about that um about that particular movie, it always reminded me of low um sorry um from from X Men, the villain from X Men, Mojo. Oh, yeah, like Mojo World. Sure. I was like, at first I'm reading it, I was like, wow, this is an inspiration for this. Like, I wonder what this is definitely going to be about. (laughs) I'm a bit of a Cronenberg fan. Like, I, you know, or really anything weird because I love Naked Lunch. these so these these references that we're pulling up, um, you know, we're we're fairly old. We're in our 40s now. So, you know, I'm youthful. I'm spry. Uh, okay, I'm old. Uh, but we, you know, we grew up in the 80s. So um, I guess that's where those those references are coming from, because those are like the you know weird things we would see. We'd be happening to uh, flip by late at night the way you used to be able to do and find something crazy. And just like, you know, be totally enraptured by it on TV and be like, what is this? This is amazing and uh have to have to do some digging to try to figure out what it was mm. uh, it was debbie harry for me i'm not gonna lie i uh, had a huge crush on debbie harry growing up and video drone yeah made video drone like i have to see it <laughs> especially like it you know like a kid who was just like was fiendishly obsessed with blondie like that was <laughs> that was an important thing for me to seek out very warranted my 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 friend uh now if we if we could get into the characters because of course anybody that has a depiction of heaven or any type of depiction of the afterlife it's always mostly human right this was not chosen for this for this storyline you have of course chalk who is a human being from earth but then you have um mr unpronounceable who's a satyr and then you have a 
was it Sian Sian Sianea? Sianea or Kelly call you call her Sianea. Yeah, we we pronounce her name differently. Who's an alien octopod? And and notes that alien octopeds are pretty much a large part of the storyline because there's a lot of backstory on Mr. Unpronounceable and how basically he was brought here. There's also a story of an octopod safari that is brought out amongst the summary as well. Now, the midst of basically how you craft crafted a, a world building project of what the afterlife looks like, how did that get encompassed? Well, I think it it probably stemmed from the idea, but we talk about our our jobs a lot, yeah, because we've both worked a lot of jobs that we've hate hated, and we both had really weird and crazy experiences um, on them. So, um, it it that was the seed. I think is that we were mm-hmm. probably, you know, having a beer one night together and talking about these these shitty jobs that we can't stand, and saying, oh, you remember this, you know, this this one time I, um, you know. I mean, what are some of the weirder things? Well, I mean, like I, I almost got shot on a job. I got hit in the head and went blind in one eye. I, uh, you know, I, I, I had a burst appendix that I worked an entire week on a, a major television show, and I won't tell, I won't tell the title so I don't get sued. But I, my feet, my back hurt from standing up because we were on the studio, so it's all concrete. Right, right, right. Uh, so long that I, that the the burst appendix. I just thought it was getting fat and then eventually like ended up in the ER and they're like, no, your abdomen's full of pus. You're dying. Uh, we like they have stuff like that. Like we have so many weird things like, and it was right around the time that, you know, we got that email from image saying, you know, Hey, Bitterroot's been greenlit. And we were like, damn it. That's our title. Um, I, We started talking about those jobs and we were like, well, you know, is there something we can do with this? Cause we clearly both have like some, you know, an axe to grind about some of this. And and mm-hmm. that started us on talking about this character because Chalk in the original 12 issues was sort of like a neutral character, but we were kind of writing him a little working, working class and sort of like, like a, a magician who's sort of like blue collar because the, all the white collar magicians don't have their time for him. <laughs> uh, and then, and then we just kind of built the world out from that. And it, it's, it, it I think it's one of the best things that we've done. Yeah. So for the for the listeners who aren't familiar, the the idea is that when you die, uh, you are basically forced to keep working. And that is that is either hell or the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a giant uh, capitalist mega corporation that has overtaken uh, most of hell and is just bent on expansion. Um, Everyday Magus is one of their holdings. So. The larger company is called Ominous Powers Incorporated. The smaller company, one of many that they hold, is Everyday Magus. Everyday Magus is essentially a temp agency. And so from there, you can be leased out uh, to work any any like myriad yep. of uh, these weird magical jobs that we kind of had to come up with or that we use like real life jobs and like transfer that into sort of a supernatural um, realm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in some and because it we kept coming up with all these different jobs, somewhat based in our real life experiences, uh, we kind of opted for um, a comedy heist for issue one, because our thought was is uh, in a heist, 
you can cover a lot more ground because you're always going to go back to that central point where like, you know, the cop like holds up the folder and goes, and that's when you discovered that the declaration of independence was behind the Mona Lisa. Right. Well, now there's a story. And then, you know, it, 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 it kind of gives you the mobility to jump around and it gave us the ability to kind of, you know, do a lot of different things for this book. Like, you know, at one point we did, we haven't like what, three pages that are all Jack, Jack Chick style. Oh, sure. Like yeah. we're, hmm. we're, you know, we're trying to make fun of Jack Chick a little bit. It, it, it's funny because I when I was reading about the part portion where it was a uh, where it was described as newly departed processing, the first thing that was brought to my mind was the handbook for the recently deceased, and, and then the world waiting room for Beetlejuice. Yeah. So I was like, I was thinking of that waiting room and how everybody just basically looked different, and uh, there was pretty much a processing of sorts in the afterlife, and how that was pretty much. It turned out the afterlife was pretty much just a factory where everybody. Everybody worked and they was they were pretty much getting supplanted in different spots. Oh, you don't want to you don't want to go in that room. That room is for all the ghouls and all the all the souls that just couldn't be saved and and whatnot like that. But um to God, get that back- is such a good connection. I've got to go, I've got to go watch Beetlejuice again. Uh, <laughs> it was just sitting in the uh, unconscious and it just came up. I guess so. Man, you're blowing my mind right now, James. <laughs> Not a problem, man. I'm, I'm, I'm happy I've done that so far. But even so um also in this story like you don't even though you work for the agency the uh, the object that chalk is trying to find is for of course where you're you're bringing up the dichotomy between uh the great resignation and the afterlife is that you can get fired there's five uh, was it five uh replacements that that you can get shuffled around and then after that you basically end up at a place called the big empty which in am i considering that limbo well, it's it's a related concept. So the idea is they, uh, uh, OPI and Everyday Magus, will tolerate five job reassignments. And if you can't get your shit together, then they've got to make you get your shit together. And they use a spell uh, called the Big Empty, which basically turns you into a living limbo. So they yeah. they suck the you out of you, basically. And you're, you're left as this hole of a person. It's really expensive to do. Like we in our story world, um, uh, magic is uh, is an economy because you know capitalism is, is spread to the afterlife. There's sort of a manufactured scarcity over um, magical power, right? Right, and so even in OPI, they're like, we don't want to have to reassign you because eventually that gets really expensive for us. So. Um, they try to control people using uh, what we call the sigil of slavery, which is uh, harvested from the ink uh, that Cyanea produces in her species. And the backstory to which uh, we've alluded to is that um, they had been hunted to near extinction and OPI is only able to hold on to one, one inmate uh, who is an octoped and has forced her to tattoo this binding spell uh into souls right mm-hmm. and um where was i going with this cognitive decline is already kicked in <laughs> sorry man where we're, am we're I? both in our 40s where's my daughter wait i don't have a daughter <laughs> who am i also who the same you? i'm i'm another person in his 40s so i can totally totally understand <laughs> <laughs> but um it, it it's intriguing because uh now you have basically um, you have chalk who's pretty much uh 
tattooed and it's pretty much the last words of his daughter and mm -hmm. it's described as uh save me which was him i guess going into the burning building and of course not not being able to save her he dies she dies and you've also talked about the fact that the opi is not a part of like child labor or anything like that so the thing is where are all the children hopefully heaven ah so there is a heaven i mean you know i though i've been asked that before um uh, when we were still developing the story world um mm -hmm. by a guy i did a mentorship with and he was like you know how does that how does that work is there like is there this sort of thing like do you delve into into like heaven and hell and i'm like in my mind heaven doesn't need to contract out to some company to handle their logistics but hell does hell seems like it would be overly complex so right. it makes sense for opi to be like we're going to manage your transportation in hell hmm. um i'm glad you asked that because i got a segue that goes into that okay All right. I, I mean mostly i was just thinking like it, it's just a if oh, i could just throw one thing yeah. out so uh, all I'd like to say about it at this point is that Chop's long-term goal is to see his daughter again, but that's that's where we kind of left it for yeah. now. So. It, what happens with that is going to be a surprise. Okay, so if if magic is the product that, of course, is being produced throughout this and I guess uh, through this entire corporation, who are the consumers? Well, like, uh, like, okay, so let's pretend that you're Doctor Strange and you're tired of blowing up Woo every week or, and, you know, or, or whoever, right? You keep blowing up your, your, your sidekick, your assistant, your whoever. You need somebody who's either not from this dimension and therefore not subject to physical law the same way the rest of us are, or someone who's already dead. And mm -hmm. OPI can uh, provide that through Everyday Magus, right? In exchange, we only ask for a, a minority control of your magical business okay and then it's sort of like the amazonification or walmartification of um magical practice right right now if uh the, the first what four characters that we're basically seeing here being it chalk his daughter uh mr unpronounceable and um say Sienia. i keep on messing up that word her name hey. Yeah, we Sanian. we both say it differently, yeah. so don't even worry you, about it. Okay. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but overall, they're more so uh, just pretty much the the line employees in this operation. Are we then to suspect that we're going to get introduced to the owners of the company, the presidents of the company, so on and so yeah, forth? Easy. Because it, 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 if it, if this place is a temp agency and it's contracting out employees to other sectors regardless there's probably somebody who's funding all of this there is yeah and we have a we have a, you're not going to get much of a glimpse behind that curtain on this issue yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh, but we do have some things worked out and it plays into the larger universe and how how all the mechanics work there but it, it's basically like us in real life that's why we decided to call the company ominous powers inc is because mm -hmm. in the story world, the characters are exploited by Ominous Powers Inc. And we're for, for profit and we are exploiting our characters for profit. So therefore it just kind of makes sense. There's like a little meta level that we've uh, been playing around with a lot, uh, especially on our like, yeah, social no, media. It's, yeah. it's pretty fun uh, that 
you know, that we sort of can talk in character as the heads of this, this supernatural corporation. Um, so yeah, we will eventually meet some of these folks. Um, I think the highest level we go to in this particular issue is uh, middle management. Mm, so okay, gotcha. That is being the that person is the larger antagonist in the uh, in the story. But we do we do see a brief board meeting. Yeah, oh. brief board meeting. I don't okay. want to give too much away. Yeah. Nah, nah, not too much away. I'm not. I'm hoping that there's not like a almost like a man behind the curtain, Wizard of Oz moment that pretty much happens here. Like the ballroom is just pretty much a setup. But you know, <laughs> we shall see. Um, now, as far as co-writing credits, because you know you both worked on this project. Project. So the dynamic between you both when you're you're pretty much putting your heads together and trying to get this story to come out. Is it is it a better ways of going about it to have or a quicker way to write when there's two of you? I wouldn't say it's quicker. Uh, it's I mean, I I feel like I probably get more done when we're banging it out together than when I'm by myself. But then again, it kind of depends. I don't know. Yeah. I... Well, we'll have really great days. And then some days it's just like, yeah. Uh, you know we're not getting anything done yeah some days it's a yeah it can be a little bit of a slog when either of us are feeling uninspired um it helps when we're when one of us actually i think it, it helps when one of us is really inspired and then the other one can just kind of like be the voice of reason to the other one um those days are usually they move pretty quick um but yeah i don't know that they necessarily move faster a lot of the times we kind of get stuck in in what I almost think of as like a bureaucracy <laughs> because mm. we don't want to make decisions that the other one's going to disagree with. So we always like to check in with each other, like, Oh, Hey, I'm about to throw this up on yeah. social media or like, Hey, what do you think about this turn in the next issue? Um, or, you know, somebody gets an idea and like, um, Hey, I, I think this mechanic would work. Do you think, do you think, you know, you think that would work out? And so, you know, I think if it were one person, you can just pivot really quickly and with two people a lot of the times that that doesn't happen right but See, that's not always detrimental though either yeah i don't think you're yeah. getting a, you're not getting a lack of quality if anything it's better that way because you know at one point we'll we'll start uh bouncing an idea back and forth and sometimes we'll get really excited about something only to find out later that it's far off the mark from what we had predicted for this character. It doesn't align with them well, or it's not in their voice or just completely contradicts something else that we were uh, previously establishing. We don't, you know, we want to be able to fulfill the promises a character has. Right. Yeah. That's sort of like a big deal. Like when we see these little things, we don't want it to be just a throwaway line. Like if, if it ever reads like a throwaway line, the spoiler alert to that is that it's probably really important and that we're going to bring it up somehow later or in another issue. Somehow it'll be satisfying. Mm. It's just not something that we want to do is to be wasteful with our words. Now, in your bio, you describe yourselves as Montana escapees, but how much of Montana is in these books? Um, in Everyday Magus, it's at the very end which I guess could be a spoiler, but I won't go on from that. Uh, the main series, it's completely set in our hometown. Mm -hmm. um, Where is that exactly? Billings, Montana. Oh, in Billings. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah, because you were in my night, so you've heard the the word. I've, yeah, I've definitely heard the word. Yeah, <laughs> that's an interesting way to describe it. <laughs> I've definitely heard that word. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, yeah, the one series is completely around it. Um, Everyday Magus leads to it. Um, pretty much everything that we've written, though, in one way or another, has something to do with Montana. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's all informed by our experiences, so you have to figure a lot of it's coming from there. You know, I, I think about place a lot and how that shapes people, yeah. and um, it's it's very impactful, I find, Yeah, if you look yeah. for it. Definitely. Uh, now, um, Sean, you describe yourself as being in the film industry. Kelly, did you did you both work on, a, on film sets before in the past? No, no, we were both um, very creative ever since we were kids. We've known each other since we were in third grade. Mm. Mm. Uh, and yeah, after after high school, Sean did some uh, further schooling and went and worked in film and TV. Um, I stayed mostly in Billings, moved around a little bit, um, but was playing in a lot of bands. Um, mm. So writing music, learning how to record, stuff like that. So each of you basically just had a creative niche and you you actually went for it. There's not yeah. a lot of people that that basically they want to do music or anybody that loves music, of course, wants to do music. Anybody that loves film and TV doesn't necessarily get that opportunity to basically like work in that field, you know, like or or better yet, you know, when you when you are creative, you don't get that opportunity to work in that field. And you both have had that opportunity to do so. Well, to bring it back to Montana, I think it, it may be in large part because we knew yeah. that there was no other way like being creative people. There's. I, I don't want to slag the community there who is doing things. There there mm-hmm. are definitely people there who are really trying hard. Um, but it's far different from, you know, we live in Portland, Oregon now. And it's like there's murals on every corner. Um, there's constantly creative stuff to do just about every night of the week. Probably yeah. every single night of the week, honestly. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just not like that in Billings. So we, uh, you know, we were creative people. We just had to do it. Yeah, I actually kind of think that it was um, formative. It was foundational in our early years because we, you know, you, in a way, it's never spoken out loud, but in a way, everything tells you you can't do any of this, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's just not in the cards for you. It's not going to happen. You know, as little kids, we thought of Denver as like magical place. It's just Denver, right? (laughs) We, We talk about that a lot. But uh, we had to create our own, our own value and our own craft, and I think, um, I think that 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 really pushed us to um, try and write something a little bit bigger and a little bit more important. But I, when I think about Billings and I think about the creative people that I met in Billings, a lot of times they were far more talented than the people I met in LA, mm. by far. Um, because it it they had to earn it they had more to prove right uh, in LA it's so clout centric and um it's really hard I like I'll spiral into a negative thing negative depression if I talk, talk about <laughs> LA too long but it, it's just not the same you know like creative people it's like if you're really good at visual arts well then yeah you're gonna go be a graphic designer you're not necessarily going to be an artist whereas in Billings there aren't a lot of great graphic design agencies. So the people that really great at visual art end up to, you know, devoting themselves more fully to art, at least in a more mm-hmm. authentic sense. So, right. 
I, I think that there's a lot of untapped talent in Billings. Um, uh, I think that if Billings believed in itself more that, you know, you'd see just it could become an artistic center very easily. A lot mm. of very brilliant people there. Um, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's definitely, um, you know, you touch on something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is um, sort of, it, it goes against, I think, the American character to believe in fatalism, but there is a lot of fatalism in the Midwest and Plains states, I have found. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who believe that um, there's not there's not a lot of hope and that if you try to do big things, it's kind of silly. Yeah. Right. And that like art is kind of a bad word. It's like, who do yeah. you think you are creating art? It's impractical. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you can't feed your family on that or. or... Right. Or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah, if you believe in that stuff, then you then you sort of you sort of naturally have an adversarial relationship with your surroundings. And I think, you know, to various degrees we both have. Um yes. and it and but yeah, like Sean says, that can be really formative. That can really help. Yeah. It, it gives you a little bit of fire. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Hey, it's 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 a testament to the story. I'll say that. Um, but as far as the story goes, you've already brought up the fact that there's already a, a bit of connectivity, of course, with chalk in this story, whether it's going from Wolfminder to Everyday Magus. How big can this story get? There's no limit. It's it's we've constructed, I think, a universe. I mean, there's still a lot to explore, obviously. I, I don't want to say like we've got it all planned out. It's it's not yeah. quite like that. Mm-hmm. But we've got some major mechanics out that are really fun to play with um, that lead to, I think, just like sort of wide open possibilities. Yeah. Um, and we can just keep going with the things we're interested in, working in a bunch of different genres if we want to. Yeah, I, I firmly believe that the ominous verse is capable of holding uh, any genre. Anything that the medium can do the ominous verse can accommodate and can expand on um, because these mechanics are something that we've been spending years working on. Like this isn't, this has been a, a a big project for a long time. And I I think, you know, starting out with that first 12 issue series and like laying down the, the groundwork where we were really tapping growing up in a small town and like trying to indict some of the not great, um, not great belief systems that we uh, internalized unknowingly as kids and wanted to work out on paper. Um, yeah, I, I think that that like that gave us somewhere to go. And when we decided to do Everyday Magus, it was, you know, the universe revealed itself to be that big, as big as we want it to be. Right. It's It's been six years of actually working on stories yeah. um, in this universe. Um, and this is kind of the the opening shot of it. Um, and and we're we plan to um, well, Sean's <laughs> I should back up. So we've got this is our opening shot. We've got the negative space anthology story coming out soon, I believe within the next couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got that 12 issue series that's just hanging out on the back burner. Um, Sean is working on a horror story. I'm working on a horror story. Um, and then we're both constantly, you know, as as writers do, you've got, you know, a yeah. couple things on the side that you think, oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. And you, you know, maybe jot out an outline and then just kind of put it on the side for a while. 
we've been sketching out ideas for um, series for some of the other characters from the main story so that they have their own uh, their own arcs. Everything will flow into the main series. And then the main series will have a like a you know major systemic change, and then a- the after that um, that major shift, uh, we've got plans for where we want the story world to go. That are it gets weirder and more fun. Um, it's almost like you know how Marvel and DC work with all these existing titles, or or even some of the other you know like Image or or uh, Valiant was doing it too. Um, how they have all these existing titles and then they, you know, come together once a year or whatever for a crossover event. Mm-hmm. That's, that's almost what we're doing, but we're working backwards. So we, yeah. we had the main event and thought, Oh, well let's, let's take this apart and do something with yeah. each one of these characters and see, see if we can build something. And the great thing about that is we're not beholden to uh continuity the way that the, like the, the, you know, the Marvel universe or the DC universe has to, you know, where you're reading it and then it, it like, a character will refer to something like, you know, Spider-Man will be like, oh, I forgot my socks. See Amazing Spider-Man number 38. <laughs> right, like, right, right. I don't have that issue. How am I going to get that? Yeah, because um, what, what, what I take it is uh, this is this is kind of like the storylines that I was used to reading when I read a lot of Vertigo comics. Yeah. Where the storylines were a bit, a bit more realistic and they... Um, they 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 kind of of course brought a lot of a uh, lot of reality to uh, the forefront like Road to Perdition or History of Violence like those type of those type of comic books that you had no type of superhero or any isms or any type of um, I'm gonna say uh, oblong characters however you may want to call it they were just basically it was a uh, it's 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 a real good storyline within like indubitably good characters and it just made for an awesome awesome story and then when they of course when they got adapted they turned into just like monster looking movies like if you've seen history of violence on film still a great movie nobody even knows it's a comic book (laughs) but 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 in turn this uh this book of course encompasses uh, characters like a Mayan god, an octopod, and mm-hmm. human beings. How many genres would you say fit in this particular story? Well, in this one, we're we're calling it a comedy heist, but there's definitely supernatural horror action comedy. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's got a lot going on in it. Um, I guess you could say that has a lot of subgenres. Genre theory is interesting too. Like I remember Alan Moore being like, you know, if you really want to get fun with genre, learn the rules of genre, but then start mixing and matching things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it like Everyday Magus very much is a cocktail of genre. Uh, it's got a lot of different things going on. Ultimately, it's it's told as a heist because, um, you know not entirely unlike Ocean's Eleven, where it's like, it, you know, everything kind of happens asynchronous. And by the end of it, you see where what the reveal was. Oh, yeah, Danny Ocean had the key in his pocket the whole time and just walked in and got the thing. Right. Right. The, the whole, like, drilling under the hotel thing, that was just distraction for the audience. Um, we're a little more 
faithful. We're not like such badly unreliable narr narrators, but um, it's yeah, it's I'm I'm spiraling. This is me spiraling. Oh, you're fine, man. I I just want to throw out that you're not you're not off base um, with the uh, comparisons to Vertigo stuff. That uh, Sean is a big fan of a lot of that stuff. Um, I I was not during the time they were in their like in their you know, creative yeah. peak or whatever. Um, but Sean has introduced me to a lot of that stuff um, after the fact, and so I am now a fan as well. My my favorite was the um, very early Hellblazer stuff because like. Mm early constantine is not a superhero he's barely magical yeah he's he's basically a, a guy who's like holy shit there's that thing happening i should try and stop it because the power system that i'm subjected to is uh just permitting it to happen so i should do something about it yeah but in fact the very first uh i got it around here very first hellblazer that i read there's no magic in it at all he right. just basically straps a guy to a chair and feeds a bunch of lsd to him and then like makes him confess to murder and then like that that's it yeah right? i remember in those first volumes like you could always see him like begging for help and then coming to realize maybe like six, six issues in yeah I, I guess i gotta do this shit myself so then he yeah. just starts like learning more yeah like the the family man right the family man is a series in in hellblazer yeah he basically gets into a fist fight with a serial killer and then shoots him <laughs> like there's no there's no magic in it it's just None. like like a detective story with a kind of sad ending. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. And there's something I love about that. Definitely. Well, Kelly, Sean, I appreciate you guys doing this with me. I know this was a long time coming. We've been trying to get this together for like a couple of weeks, but I appreciate you guys doing this. Appreciate uh, you inviting us on, man. I really do. Yeah. Thank you very much. Of course, man. So uh, for everybody out there, the Facts Project, this is James Grandmaster Facts Voice, Kelly DeCroix, and Sean Murphy. We are out.